is all true. Mm. And you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, that is the Odyssey, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. How did that impact you? For some Christians, it makes them angry. For some, you sympathise with his view. I think if you go out here in Sydney and to the community, you're going to find that that is how a lot of people see God. God, if he exists, how could you? How could you? How could you make a world like the world we live in? And you don't have to live in this world for very long to realise and to recognise that it is a fairly, and I I like to use this term, anti-human place to live. The environment is becoming toxic to human beings. We get sick. We go through tragedy. Sooner or later, every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching this on live stream and on television, sooner or later, every single one of us is going to face tragedy, trauma, and whether we like it or not, sooner or later, we're going to see death. And I tell you, it is a random thing. I don't get myself how some people can live their whole lives healthy and die in their sleep. And yet others die when life has barely begun. And still others die in pain. And it just seems so random. And so when people look at God, often they see him like Stephen Fry does. And I must admit, when I first heard this, I felt angry too. But then I stopped and thought about it and I ended up feeling empathy and even some sympathy for Stephen Fry's perspective. Bone cancer in children. How do you explain that? Stephen Fry says, how dare God create a world that is in such misery and we're in it and it's not our fault. Why should I respect, he says, a capricious, mean-minded, and I'm not going to use the other adjective that he used, God, who creates a world that is full of so much injustice and pain. I struggle with bone cancer in children, don't you? And if you don't, you go and visit the children's ward, the paediatric cancer ward at any of our larger hospitals here in Sydney like I have many times, and you walk out of there. And you'll be struggling. There was a photojournalist in the Syrian refugee camp just a week or so back. And he saw this beautiful little four-year-old. And she is cute as, you know, she's one of those little kids when you see them, you want to go out and hug them, you know, the the type I'm talking about. Just cute as. And 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 this this photojournalist in 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 this in this refugee camp, he 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 uh goes to take a picture of and he raises his camera up. And it make you cry. 
She raised her little hands up in the air and surrendered because she thought the journalist had a gun. And she thought the journalist was going to shoot her. And when I say it, when I see that, I weep for the pain and the misery that our planet is going through. How can you not sympathise when a young suicidal man crashes a plane in France with 150 people into the Alps and, and takes all those people with him in suicide? You know, on that plane, one genera- three generations of one family were wiped out. A grandmother, a mother and a little girl. We are hurting down here. And Stephen Fry knew it. And, and deep inside Stephen Fry, and I believe deep inside most human beings, they will acknowledge that somewhere up there, there is a higher power. They may not call him God, but there is a higher power. There is a creator. And how, how could he? How could he? How could he? And I could go on and on. I don't want to go on for too long because you know how bad, how toxic, how difficult it is to live in this world. Journalists beheaded by ISIS. The Jewish Holocaust, where the Nazis killed six million men, women and children. The Armenian Holocaust over there in Turkey and World War. Oh, it goes on. In 1994, one million Rwandas perished in genocide. I struggle as I watch my parents' age going in for operations and struggling with the infirmities of, of old age. And they're doing pretty well, really, but they're struggling. And then I see the oppression of the poor by the rich and the injustice. The world is full of misery. Yeah, it can be pretty good sometimes. But sooner or later, later, this world that you live in is going to bite you. And when it bites you, it usually bites you really hard. And most of the oppression and misery that people face is not their fault. I'm struggling. I'm struggling too. But I have a different paradigm than Stephen Fry. I take exception to what he's saying. I don't believe that God is capricious. I don't believe that God is mean-minded or mean-spirited. And I don't believe that God did create a world that is full of injustice and pain. I don't believe it. I march into the beat of a different drum. I'm seeing things in a different way. And I'm seeing them in a different way and I'm marching to a different drum because I take as a basis of my life, as the foundation of truth in my life, I take the Bible. I believe in the Bible. I believe what the Bible has to say about this conflict between good and evil and why we're suffering and why we're in this toxic, inhuman environment. And when I read what the Bible says and when I, 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 I pray to God and, and when I have the Holy Spirit on me talking to me and, and leading me and guiding me, I'm getting different perspectives about pain, about injustice, about oppression and about the awful things that are happening in this world. And I'm praising God that I've got it because if I didn't, I think I'd be like Stephen Fry. And I'm not a Pharisee standing up here and saying, thank God I'm, I'm not like Stephen Fry. What I am saying is, thank God I've got the Bible and I've got Jesus Christ. I don't know how I can live in this world without Jesus. I've had my fair share of pain. I lost my best friend in suicide. I've been through a crippling divorce. I've buried some of my best friends as late as just a week or two ago. 
And I thank God I've got him and I thank God I've got Jesus and I thank God I've got the Bible. So let's look at these accusations of Stephen Fry's. The first one, that God is capricious, mean-minded, and he said stupid. The second one, that God created a world that is full of injustice and pain. I want to look at this second accusation first, that God created a world full of injustice and pain. It's just not true. It doesn't matter whether Stephen Fry says it, it doesn't matter who says it, it doesn't matter whether a, 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 a scientist or a, or a doctor or, or a politician or a world leader, it doesn't matter who says it, it's not true. The Bible's very clear. God did not create a world full of injustice and pain. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The Bible's very clear. God says at the end of this week, he looked at, he looked at it. He looked over all he had made. And he saw, and this is what the Bible says, it was very good. There was no sin, there was no pain, there was no death. There was no oppression, there was no injustice. There was no war, there was no rape, there was no murder. There was no unfairness. God created a perfect world with perfect human beings in it, sinless, living in a perfect environment designed to live forever. And by the way, one of the reasons we're struggling so much in the planet today when we get sick, when we die, is because we're not designed for it. You're not designed to die, you're designed to live forever. And that's why we have this fear, we have this aversion to death and sickness and pain because we're just not designed to experience those things. God never designed us like that. He never designed us for it. We did not evolve for it. God designed you to live forever. He designed you to live without pain, without death. And what you're experiencing now is what not, is not what you're made for. But the story in Genesis 3 talks about the fall of man. And if you don't know it, you go and read it. How man, Adam and Eve, our first mothers, our first father, our first mother, made a decision to separate themselves through rebellion, through disobedience from the life giver. You see, God's a life giver. Even in perfection, God is a life giver. All life comes from him. If God did not exist, there would be no life. The reason that the blood pulses through your veins, that your heart pumps, that your mind is working with electric energy running all over your body is because of God. When Adam and Eve rebelled, they separated themselves from God. Sin came into the world. And with sin came pain, oppression, injustice and death. That's what the Bible preaches. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, this great preacher, He tells us in Romans 5 verse 12, when Adam sinned, he says sin entered the world. Adam sinned, not God. Do you like being blamed for things that you didn't do? Do you like it? It was not God who brought death to the planet. It was man. But there's good news. And this is where I want to take you for a few minutes today. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. Do you know this scripture? You see, God loves the world. You're not going to hear that from Stephen Fry. You're not going to hear that from the popular media. You're not going to read it in the newspaper or find it much on the internet. But God loves the world. God loves you. It's, it's really deep 
If you've got a child, and I've got two, I've got four now, I got married not long ago, I've got, I got two stepsons, that's interesting for me, coming from a family of all women, and I've got two beautiful daughters, and I love them. You know, when Danae was born, I often talk about how, you know, she was born in the cesarean section, her mum was taken away to, to get fixed up, and they left me in this tiny little room with Danae. See the big girl here now, she's 13. I, I never forget. I was there for one hour, two hours, maybe three hours, I don't know. I could have been there for three days, it didn't matter. I was just so thrilled and I look down at this. I still look at you like that, little girl. I'm in love with her. I, it's the, when I had children for the first time in my life, I, I realised that I would die for them. Do you know what I mean, Mum and Dad? Do, do you know what I mean? I'd die for them. I would, if, if someone came and said it's, it's either you or Danae or you and Hannah or, or, or you or the boy, I'd, I'd just say instantly take me. And that's what parents do. That's what parents do. And God's a parent. He's your father. And this idea that God doesn't love people, that it's God who brought all this pain, is inserted by the very one who, who, who does and did, and that's Satan himself. He's the one who causes all the pain. He's the one who influenced and inspired it, and yet he comes back and tries to blame God for it. God loves us. And it's deep, like a parent, only beyond. You stop and think about the fact that it was God who created. Now I wish when he created me, he created me just a little bit slimmer and maybe these hips a little narrower, this chest a little wider, uh, this nose a little smaller, but I'm so thankful, God, you created me. Amen, don't you feel like that? And he loves me. He's the one. Oh, we think that biologically we're made by mother and father coming together. And, ah, you are, the Bible says, shaped fearfully and wonderfully by God himself in the womb of your mother. You are a created being of God. You are his son or his daughter and he loves you. It's a deep love and it's a fierce love and he feels your pain and he feels your hurt and he feels your wounds. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus and here's the way out and here's the proof that what Stephen Fry says is not true. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but they're going to have what? Eternal, everlasting, forever life. And this proves that God's love for the world is not capricious. It is not mean-spirited. And God is everything other than stupid. What an awful, what awful terminology to use about God. He gave his son Jesus... And I want to look at this for a moment, and I want to remind you of a couple of things as we go in and look at this just for a few minutes. Jesus was not created. He did not come forth sometime in the eons of eternity. Jesus is not below God. Jesus is God. He is equal with God. He is God. Jesus is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. The Bible's very clear on this, and you... Come to this church, I'll teach you more about this in the not too coming, not, not too far future. Jesus is God. 
And Jesus got down off his throne. God got down off his throne. And God came down here to this earth. Don't tell me God does not love us. And he became a human being. It's a miracle. I can't explain it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what his DNA was. I don't know how he could be God and he, he could be human, but he was fully human and he became, he was fully God and he became fully human. And he comes down to this earth in the muck and the pain, the stress, the oppression, the injustice, all of it. He come down and he experienced it for himself first hand. And he took that experience all the way to death. Don't tell me you don't matter, that this world doesn't matter, that God doesn't love it. Jesus came down. He took because the punishment of our sins is death. We separate ourselves from God, which Adam and Eve did. By birthright, by DNA, we're going to die. And Jesus takes our rebellion if we ask him to. He takes those sins upon himself and he marches with them all the way to death. That's what Easter is about. That's what people... Look, I know Easter has all the pagan stuff in it, but it's the only time that our world stops and even gives possible thought and credence to the story of Jesus and maybe, just maybe, something did happen. I want to talk about guilt for a moment. Most of us all know what it is to experience guilt. I certainly, I certainly do. I remember as a boy, I think I would have been eight years of age with a young man named Gregory. I think he actually ended up in prison, this guy. We broke into the school tuck shop. We stole maybe 30, 40 bottles of Fanta. We made a mistake because we hid them in the long jump pit. And so on Monday when they had long jump, the long jump year three class ended up with 40 bottles of Fanta. They called the police in. I felt real guilt when the police came, let me tell you. They never did catch us. But I tell you, I felt guilt. San Diego Superior Court, two men were on trial for armed robbery and they were feeling guilt. They'd been caught. There was an eyewitness. He took the stand. And the prosecutor, he moved very carefully because he wanted to make sure that these two men got what they deserved. They were pleading innocent, but they were really guilty. So this eyewitness took takes the stand. So says the prosecutor. You say you were at the scene when the robbery took place? Oh, yes. Yes, said the eyewitness. I was there. And you saw a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed? Oh, yes, the eyewitness said I did. And did you observe the occupants? Yes, there were two men there and I saw them clearly. And the prosecutor boomed. Are those two men present in the court today? At this point, the two defendants sealed their fate. They raised their hands and said, yes, we're here. (laughs) True story. They're feeling guilt. And when you've got guilt, you do stupid things. It's just an awful thing. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. It says, and I just want to bring this home to you for a moment. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Can you own that text? Can you own that? Not a single person on earth, says the Bible, is always good and never sins. But this is where I want to take you now. Jesus came to earth 
And he walked into a garden called Gethsemane. It's still there today, 2,000 years later. If you go to Jerusalem, you can go just outside the city limits and there you'll come to Gethsemane, this beautiful garden. And apparently there there are trees in the garden of Gethsemane today that were there when Jesus was there 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus goes into this garden. It's Thursday night. It's the Passover, which is much the same time as when? Easter. The Passover and Easter come at more or less the same time within a week or two of each other. He's eaten the Passover meal and he's in the garden. Now, we're talking about guilt. and Something happens here. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think one of the most significant Bible texts in all of Scripture. It goes like this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took in the garden our guilt. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what God did. But somehow he took the guilt of the sins of the human race. And your guilt was there. Did you know that? And I'm, I'm thankful to God that my guilt was there. I am standing before you. I am a sinner. Sometimes I'm such a hard-headed, cold-blooded sinner that it leaves me gasping in disgust. I am a sinner, but I've got a saviour. Stephen Fry is wrong. Here's Jesus, not only has he become a human being, but now he's taking the guilt that belongs to you and me upon himself. Look what the Bible says. I just want to take you through a few verses here. I hope you can experience just a little touch of what Jesus went through for you. And if you can, then you're going to be convicted and you're going to know that what Stephen Fry said was just not right. Let's look at Matthew 26, verse 36. He's in the garden. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go there to pray. So at this point, the guilt of the world has been put upon Jesus. Where does he go? The same place all guilty people should go. He goes to what? To pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. Zebedee must have been a good man to have two sons like James and John. Although they're called sons of thunder, these are two of Jesus' principal followers. And he became, the Bible says, he became anguished and distressed. Why? Because he's got guilt. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's got your sins, my sins, the guilt of the world upon him. He says, my soul is crushed to death. Stay here. He needs company. He needs support. He needs someone to put their arm around him. He, he, he needs encouragement. He says, stay here. Please, these are his three closest friends. Stay here. Keep watch with me. He's begging them. Now, there's a reason Jesus is struggling so much. I don't know, how many of you here today are allergic to something? Let's see, uh, 
your hands. What are you allergic to, Peter? Milk, you poor fellow. There's no milkshakes for you at lunchtime. <laughs> well, who else is allergic? Let me see. What are you allergic to? Ice cream. <laughs> Dust. I'm, I'm, I'm little Danae here. She's allergic to peanuts. And, and, and I think she might have moved through it a bit now, but, but, uh, um, we used to carry an EpiPen around because if she ate any peanuts, her throat would start to constrict and, 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 and she would run out of air. A very scary thing. Uh, and it's not nice to be allergic to something. Jesus was allergic to sin. And he's in Gethsemane. He's never tasted it. He's never felt it because he's never done it. He's God. Perfect. Sinless. Even as a man, never sinned. And he's in the garden and all of a sudden the guilt of the whole world is, is lumped on him. He's allergic. He's in the garden. And he's having an allergic reaction. And it's a serious allergic reaction. Verse 39, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground. My father, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering, this guilt, let it be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done. You think of the most heinous crimes, the, sh- the shame and the guilt, the child abusers, the serial murderers, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Pol Pot, the Stalins, the Hitlers, and then you think of yourself, my life of sin, my life of rebellion and all the sorrow that comes with it, it's put on Jesus. Verse 40, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? And Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup can somehow be taken away from me. And you can read this chapter in Matthew 26 and you can go through step by step the pain of Jesus in the garden as he saves the human race. Somehow that's not the God that Stephen Fry describes, is it? Do you see any capriciousness there? Do you see it? Do you see cruelty? Is this a stupid God? Is this a God that created a world full of misery and pain? I don't see that. I see Jesus. I see Jesus who got down off his throne. Who came down here and took the sins of the world so he could save it. That's a different God than Stephen Fry's describing. It's a God that I recommend to you this morning. You know, my foolishness and my weaknesses... I present him to you. But now I rely on the Holy Spirit to convict you of this Jesus and to call you into an experience with him because I can't do it. Holy Spirit, touch these people. Call them into a relationship with Jesus the Son. Give them an experience with him of freedom as he takes the guilt and saves them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And all you've got to do 
begin this walk with him is to say, Jesus, come into my heart and he will take you from there.